The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition. Hello, I'm Kimberly King, and welcome to the Mother's Market Radio Show, a show dedicated to the truth, beauty, and goodness of the human condition. On today's show, it's something many of us women don't think about. That natural time of the month has a new natural innovation. That's organic tampons. And they can help you feel better about what you're putting in your body. So listen close. Plus, later we'll tell you what's new at Mother's Market and what's going on around town. But first up, Margot Lang is the co-founder of Conscious Period, a company that specializes in organic tampons. Margot has an MBA with a certificate in sustainability and business from USC and has a background in marketing with the nonprofit retail and technology industries. And we welcome her to the Mother's Market Radio Show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's nice to have you. Why don't you fill our audience a little bit in on your mission and work before we get to the show's topic? Great. So Conscious Period is an organic tampon company, as you mentioned, and we have a giving model to help uh, provide products as well as employment opportunities to women who are living in homelessness right here in the United States. Uh, So that's kind of you know, we're providing really healthy, uh, eco-conscious, socially conscious products to uh, women all over the country. Wonderful. Well, today we're talking about the real food movement as it relates to kombucha. And um, so, Margo, tampons. <laughs> Let's talk about them. And uh, many consumers are familiar with the importance of choosing organic foods and natural house cleaners. But tell us why it's important to be choosing organic feminine hygiene project products. So first of all, what most people don't know is that the FDA actually classifies tampons as medical devices. And so as a result, companies are not required to label the ingredients that are in their products. So as consumers, we have no idea what we're putting into our bodies for 50,000 hours over the course of our lives, which is pretty absurd if you think about it. Wow. What people don't know, you look at a tampon, you think, oh, it's a white ball of fluffy stuff. It's probably cotton. It's actually most of the time not. It's, they're made of synthetic fibers. They have fragrances, dyes, bleach. And the little bit of cotton that is involved in the products is 85% of it is sprayed with glyphosate, which is definitively carcinogenic, according to the World Health Organization. So there are a lot of challenges here, a lot of ingredient labeling and transparency issues in the market that people just really aren't aware of. So choosing that organic cotton product is by far the safest and healthiest for your body. Wow. And really, and you're right, the average consumer has no idea. And growing up with that, um, wow, I think that's fascinating. What are some of the effects of these ingredients on the body? So this is another one of those nuances in this space that there just is such limited research that it's actually really hard to say what the actual effects are. They didn't even really start researching, um, or the NIH anyways, didn't really start researching the impact um, until 1992, which really wasn't that long ago. Um, And, you know, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney has been trying to bring the Robin Danielson Act to the floor eight times, and every time the bill has been... um, shot down by a male-dominated Congress. And so there's really sort of these players in the market that have been trying to create research and trying to really measure these long-term effects of femcare in the relationship to women's bodies, um, and it's just not happening. But you know, the tissue in your vaginal canal is some of the most porous and most absorbent in your body, so why would you risk it? Why would you um, put something into your body that we really don't know what the effects are when you have other options? And there's all kinds of evidence and suggestions that, you know, synthetic materials are what's responsible for toxic shock syndrome. 
or that there are endocrine disruptors and reproductive toxins involved in these, but there just isn't really good, non-biased, peer-reviewed research to indicate definitively what the issues are. But in our opinion, it's not worth the risk. Absolutely. Uh, there's also an environmental component as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So uh, organic cotton is by far the most sort of environmentally sustainable material uh, to use for tampons. Uh, it biodegrades and is, um, you know, superior to conventional cotton in the way that it is uh, created and then in the chemicals that are used in order to, uh, you know, pesticides or herbicides or, or, you know, whatever, all those chemicals that they put on conventional cotton aren't obviously um, sprayed onto organic cotton. And so the environmental effects are um, very relevant here, and organic cotton is definitively sort of the best option when you compare it to both the synthetic fibers as well as conventional cotton from an environmental perspective. I think this is so fascinating. We were talking a little bit earlier. Uh, you're so young, but <laughs> you were talking about both of your parents are doctors. Mm -hmm. But how did all of this prompt you to start your own company? You know, both Annie and I, my co-founder, we were really concerned with the ingredients in our products. Mm -hmm. um, and we just hadn't found a good option that really met our needs or met the needs of our friends. Organic tampons have existed for a long time, but they're expensive, they're hard to find, and most people just don't enjoy the user experience of them a lot. Has to do with the applicator. 76% of the market prefers plastic, and most organic tampons into this point have uh, only had a cardboard applicator or a digital applicator, no applicator at all. And so women just weren't buying them. They weren't willing to sacrifice their comfort for their health. And so we really wanted to bring an option to market that was going to accomplish that, that women could feel really comfortable having that for us a BPA-free plastic applicator. Um, but with the sort of uh, benefits from a health perspective of a 100% organic cotton tampon, uh, as well as the environmental benefits of it being able to biodegrade. Good for you. Besides the ingredients, what are some of the other big issues in the feminine hygiene industry that are that some of our listeners might be aware of or might not be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest issues in this space is actually accessibility and affordability of these products. Um, again, another thing that many people don't know is that government assistance programs like food stamps don't cover period products. Really? So if you're a woman living below the poverty line, you have no access to these products with the government assistance that's being afforded to you. So you either have to come up with the money to buy it yourself or sell your food stamps, which is illegal. Mm. And so that gets women into a very precarious, tricky situation. They're often having to sort of DIY um, the products themselves using rags or socks or oh paper towels. And all of that often isn't the most sanitary way to do things, which can lead to infection and uh, a host of other problems. Uh, and that just seems abominable uh, yeah. <laughs> in this day and age in this country. And additionally, in 37 states, tampons are taxed as luxury items, uh, in, in quotations, non-necessary goods, uh, which is also uh, ridiculous right. because as you know any woman listening to this knows getting a period is absolutely not a luxury it's not a luxury <laughs> i was just going to say who would think of that right absolutely and then you know so 
one thing that we're really working on and one of the big issues in this industry is getting product into the hands of people who need it and don't have access to it because shelters just don't have enough. If you talk to shelters across the country, uh, they'll tell you that, you know, pads specifically are one of the most highly requested and least donated items. People mm -hmm. just don't think about it because we don't talk about it. it it's true. I was just going to say that people really don't think about that. And, and it's true. It's just one of those taboo or not. Maybe it's not taboo. It's just that people don't talk about it. It's absolutely taboo. Yeah. And that's, you know, one thing in this space that is exciting to see some of this conversation is starting to destigmatize these issues, mm -hmm. but it's huge. And so, you know, making sure that shelters have a consistent stream of product. Um, another issue in the space is that people maybe donate a bunch of it, and then these organizations don't know when they're going to get more. So there's this kind of supply and demand unpredictability problem. And so... That's another sort of uh, issue that people just don't think about. Good for you for bringing this uh, out into the public awareness. How can people help fix these issues on their own in their own communities? I mean, you are doing your part. Yeah. How can we do our part? Absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of different ways. I think sort of on a very local level, mm -hmm. asking your shelters what they need. And maybe for some reason it's not pads um, and tampons, but it probably is. Mm -hmm. um, so donating those items when you make donations to local charitable organizations uh, if you're a student and you're trying to think about some kind of fundraiser or a community service project in your school doing a feminine care products drive, um, maybe even thinking as far as incontinence products, it's another issue that, you know, doesn't get talked about a whole lot. And so thinking outside the box a little bit, thinking past sort of um, the traditional products to give to local organizations because they are most often the experts at getting it into the hands of people that need it most. So that's kind of what we've learned as far as the distribution of it. Mm -hmm. um. But also thinking about it on a more sort of broad policy level and calling your representatives. Uh, we're in a moment in time where people are activated and people are, um, you know, really ready to mobilize. And this is one of those issues that by calling your representative, especially if you live in a state where there is still a, a tampon tax, um, and really having that conversation, engaging with them, and, and, and putting a little bit of pressure as a citizen right. on them to introduce these issues and do what we can to uh, abolish the tampon tax in every state across the nation uh, is hugely important. No, and I love that, that you are lighting the fire. And it, it is right. It is the time. And uh, especially, again, I think the other thing, too, is that it, the millennials or this, mm -hmm. the, you're, you're younger. I think, um, you know, maybe it's the, the, the at, at a time that our um, the people that are a little older than us, they didn't talk about it in, a, in that day. Now you're talking about it. You're getting it out there. So thank you for lighting that fire. Can you explain what the legislation is uh, that you mentioned before? Can you talk a little bit about that legislation? Sure. Um, so specifically the tampon tax uh, legislation is it's a, it's a state issue, um, so state by state, we can't uh, repeal it on a federal level. Mm -hmm. And so, again, being really aware of kind of where your state stands is important. Um, you know, last year, uh, New York, Connecticut, and Illinois all abolished the tampon tax, uh, which, you know, was very important uh, in sort of leading the way for a lot of other states because now, you know, California, Florida, Michigan, Texas, Vermont, Virginia, and Washington are all working on on uh, abolishing the tampon right. tax, That's which is really great. amazing, but kind of really doing that research uh, and knowing where your state stands. So just to sort of explain the tampon tax, to take that step back and explain exactly what we're talking about here, it's not an extra tax. Uh, and I think that there's 
oftentimes some confusion there. It really is the, a sales tax, but the way that tampons are taxed is as a non-necessary good. Um, that's where we kind of get this word of luxury. Um, but the reason why people are sort of up in arms about this is because other products like Rogaine or soda or candy are not taxed oh, in that no. same fashion. Mm -hmm. And so candy is very clearly less necessary than pads and tampons are. <laughs> right, right. And so the dichotomy and all of this, isn't that Exactly. Yeah. And there are definitely differences in different states. So again, doing a bit of research about kind of uh, what the nuances of your state's regulations are is definitely important. Um, but that's kind of what we're talking about here is sort of is, is the bias uh, against sort of uh, you know, female or feminine care products as far as they are taxed in relation to other items. Right. Yeah. I would, well, I'm not going to say it, but it's what's for a man to have to go be a woman for a week to deal with having to have a, the menstrual period. So anyway. well, actually you're totally right. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, there was a YouTuber, Ingrid Nilsson, who went and spoke with president Obama and she had this sort of opportunity through a partnership between the white house and YouTube and asked him about the tampon tax. Mm -hmm. And she asked, why it existed and he said that first of all he didn't uh, know that it existed so mm. she, she sort of educated about him about it but also he said that when she asked why he said because men write the laws and <laughs> wow. he our our president at the time was very candid and very open and uh, wow. very clear that Michelle would not be happy about this <laughs> and that <laughs> but thank you for being transparent about exactly that, right? and yeah. I personally I really appreciated that and I right. think the community at large did as well well I appreciate you being here and it's so very interesting this information uh, right now we have to take a quick break but more in just a moment uh, so don't go away we'll be right back looking for healthier snack options mother's market sources organic and non-gmo small batch high quality, great tasting nuts, dried fruits, snacks, and candy. The goal, to provide you the highest in quality snacks while also offering high nutritional value. Fan favorites include non-GMO peanut butter pretzel bites, organic dried mango slices, and organic dark chocolate peanut clusters. Stop into your local mother's market today to explore all the varieties and pick some up to try for yourself. Let's talk menstruation, perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. These shouldn't be taboo topics. They're the normal life phases we move through as women. And Solaray delivers support every step of the way with her life stages. The first of its kind comprehensive new supplement line offers doctor formulated solutions at each stage with clinically backed ingredients you can count on. Own the stage. Buy Solaray at Mother's Market today. And welcome back to the Mother's Market Radio Show. And we want to remind you that if you've missed any portion of today's show, you can find us on iTunes by searching Mother's Market or download the show from our website, mothersmarket.com. Click the link for radio and listen to the past shows. Plus, download our healthy recipes and money savings coupons, all available at mothersmarket.com. And now back to our interview with Conscious Period co-founder Margot Lang. And so very interesting, we're talking about organic tampons. And so, Margot, uh, we talked a little bit about the legislation across the nation, but specifically, can you talk more about what's happening right here in California? Sure. So there was a tampon tax bill uh, brought to uh, the California 
Congress to vote on last year, and it passed bipartisan legislation, passed unanimously. Uh, the bill was sort of brought to Jerry Brown's desk in order for him to approve it, and he vetoed it. Mm. And so it was a pretty disappointing moment last year, especially kind of on the on the skirts of some other states having passed this legislation uh, ahead of us. And so the, this bill is being brought back uh, to the floor by uh, Assemblywoman Christina Garcia right now, uh, AB9 and AB10, if you're interested in yeah. kind of looking into it. Thank you. Um, and this legislation will sort of hopefully be able to make its way back to Jerry Brown's desk. Uh, and we're really sort of encouraging people, uh, as is her office, to call him, to have that conversation with him. Again, really encourage him to maybe pay a bit more attention to it or, uh, you know, hopefully not veto it this time around. So that's kind of the landscape of what's happening right here in California. AB9 and AB10. Correct. Okay. So something to look forward to into the future. Yeah, look for that. Um, it's, it's interesting, and, and again, this is the tampon tax legislation. Why do you think that the organic femme care market is uh, going more mainstream now? This is something we've been talking about, and um, uh, again, it's, it is. It's going more mainstream. Why? Absolutely. I think that people are really starting to pay attention to everything that they're putting on their bodies, in their bodies, near their bodies, around their children. Um, and it's it's sort of becoming this uh, part of the vernacular in a way that it never has been before. I mean, the organic food movement took a minute to take off as well, but now everyone's familiar with organic food and people that have the disposable income to, to buy it definitely prioritize it in the marketplace. And so I think that kind of awareness uh, is shifting. You know, it's not just food anymore. It's all these other products and, and tampons and feminine care products in general are definitely sort of a part of uh, that conversation. Uh, and people understand both what organic mean and what cotton means at this point. And I think that that's kind of when you sort of get into nuances of new materials or um, things that people don't totally understand the vocabulary around. It takes a little bit longer to educate people. And not to say that this space doesn't need education, because it absolutely does. Right. Um, but we kind of have this almost of an advantage that people kind of understand those two main components uh, of what's so important about organic cotton feminine care products. So I think that those things sort of put together um, have kind of really sort of pushed this into the mainstream. It's kind of an extension of existing trends, but also the millennial market itself yes. having more disposable income. You know, sort of for so long, we would see all this market research about how millennials care about environmentally friendly products and socially responsible products. But at the end of the day, they weren't sort of putting their money where their mouth was. Mm -hmm. uh, but as that consumer has aged by a few years and tends to have a bit more disposable income, uh, they are starting to put their money where their mouth is, which is really exciting for, I think, probably every brand in this space, um, seeing that trend and sort of being a part of it and allowing, you know, these companies to grow as a result uh, is something that's really exciting. And, and that consumer does so much more research. Uh, that consumer cares so much more about health and wellness as kind of uh, a daily interaction. And so, you know, I think that that consumer is really driving this category forward um, and, and educating, you know, 
younger people as well as, you know, their parents right. about it, that's which is really exciting. And I'm sorry, and that's exactly what I was trying to pinpoint earlier is really the millennials have changed the way marketing, advertising, everything, Absolutely. because it's also the way millennials communicate. And um, it's it's changed the way ad, uh, everything has, is, uh, has really changed that trend. Um, so I think you're right. It's really exciting um, just the way that millennials communicate. Where are some of the exciting developments that you've seen in this industry? I um, I, I do want to kind of go back because of one thing about with the femcare market. Um, do you do you see anything with the advancement with uh, where breast cancer started and with you know you, you talk say you talk freely about vaginas and, and you know with tampons and everything, <laughs> yeah. but with the movement with breast cancer and with women talking about breasts and everything, do you see kind of a movement and a transition with that all of a sudden being open talking openly about? Absolutely. It is incredible to see how many people want to talk about their periods, want to talk about <laughs> these products, want to have this conversation, to feel less alone, to ask questions and have them answered in an approachable and compassionate way that isn't filled with stigma and judgment yeah. and taboo. And I think that, you know, this industry was so sort of hidden for so long. Um, in 2015, they were sort of calling the, the year of the period. Uh, I think NPR dubbed it the year of the period. 2015? Uh, as did uh, the New York Times. Yeah, and it kind of rolled into 2016. But all of a sudden, there was just sort of this wave around the conversation of periods and period products and uh, these social issues that surround it and the tampon tax kind of really came to light. Mm. So all of a sudden, people were starting to talk about about this in a way that had never happened before. Um, you know, Newsweek did a cover story on, on sort of the taboos in this space, which was pretty unheard of. Um, and so that was something that, you know, this, this conversation was sort of brewing under the surface for so long, and, and now people are really starting to be heard. And we get emails literally every single day from young girls and older women sort of sharing their stories with us, thanking us for, for bringing this sort of conversation to light in, in the way that we decide to tackle it, though there are so many in the space that are, have been revolutionary in terms of this conversation. Um, we got a, an email from a, a 12-year-old in the UK who was so excited to start talking about her period. She wanted to know what she could put on social media and uh, was there something she could share with her friends and at the end of the email she says I haven't gotten my period yet but I want to share this with all of my friends because some of them have and it's it's so different um, than I think it ever has been before and that wave of mobilization and activism um, and pushing people to sort of have that conversation in the way that makes them feel most comfortable not everyone is comfortable talking about it and that's okay too is something that's really exciting uh, and we've been involved in some uh, you know pieces of content that have, you know, gone viral, so to speak. We did a, a video with uh, BuzzFeed Ladylike uh, in December, I believe, that got a million views in 24 hours and wow. thousands of comments of people sharing their stories and telling us sort of about their experiences and, um, you know, sort of moments like that. We know that this matters to people <laughs> and we know that, um, you know, that this conversation is something that people want to talk about. 
That's exciting, and I and thank you for sharing about how that has shifted and what you're doing and what kind of stories. Because again, it was sort of a taboo, like when when kids and I remember, you know, actually, my I have a, a teenage daughter, and I remember. Um, with her Girl Scout troop, uh, one of the leaders is a pediatrician, mm-hmm. and she sat down with the Girl Scout troop, and she said, this is what happens. Yep. And I thought that was brilliant, to sit down with all the girls as they're approaching women, womanhood. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and so they all felt a little bit comfortable because they all had their sisters with them, you know, and, and um, just to describe this is how you, um, you know, this is what happens together. And um, it was a little bit less daunting rather than when I grew up in my, you know, it was, I was alone sort of. I don't have uh, any sisters, but I remember it was sort of a taboo subject. So I felt a little bit alone, but rather than my daughter now with her girlfriends and her uh, Girl Scout troop, um, it, it was a much better platform, I should say. And it's particularly hard, you know, for single dads to have this conversation yes. with their daughters or for, for women who are living in, in sort of uh, lower income situations, being able to sort of get what they need for their daughters to make them feel most comfortable. Um, you know, that's something that we talk about a lot. How do we have that conversation in a way that then girls feel comfortable going to, to whoever it is that is supportive of them or going to somebody else if that's kind of what makes sense for them? Mm-hmm. Um, but the more we can open up this conversation, the more we can make everybody feel comfortable talking about it, especially men to a certain extent, <laughs> right. um, the better off we're going to be. And we're definitely seeing that people are eager to have that conversation more and more. What's next for the menstrual revolution? It's <laughs> a great question. Uh, I think three main things. Uh, innovation. Uh, I think that, you know, we've been talking about some very specific products that haven't seen a lot of change for a very long time. And not every woman is the same. Not every community is the same culturally. And we as women deserve nuances and product that fit our needs Uh, and I think that as more women come into the space as more women like Annie and I are starting companies are sort of entering the product development space are in control of the messaging and the marketing and the branding around these products we're going to start to see that level of nuance. We're going to start to see more diversity and more differentiation in the marketplace, which it's been begging for for five decades, and no mm-hmm. one has really tackled uh, in, a, in a super successful mainstream kind of way. Uh, I think another thing that we're going to see is research. Uh, like I said before, it is so incredibly limited, frighteningly so. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, more and more people are starting to pay attention to it because it got the media's attention. Uh, you know, we talk to doctors kind of off the record all the time about, you know, are they doing research in this space? What does it look like? What are some of their just sort of observations or the trends that we're seeing? And and it's clear that, you know, we're on to something um, mm-hmm. and the way that this market is moving is on to something. But again, we need that research in order to be definitive with the conversations that we have about the health effects. And that's something that I think we're starting to see sort of brewing below the surface and, and we're going to see more of. Um, and lastly, destigmatization. I think that this is such a natural bodily function that happens to over half the population right. at some point in their life for you know 35 years. Um, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to be afraid of. Uh, but that's just not how it's approached. And I think that as more conversations sort of push the envelope uh, in the way that you know we're really trying to, the more that you know this is going to be less taboo and less stigmatized and and everyone's going to be sort of happier for it. 
Excellent. Well, that's very exciting. And congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and some great advice. And uh, we really appreciate your knowledge. And we look forward to having you on again in the future. But in the meantime, get more information on Margot Ling on her website. It's consciousperiod.com. And we look forward to our next visit. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mother's Market radio show and for shopping at Mother's Market. The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition.